0: Welcome to Close Horse, the podcast that has never called a 1-900 number. Dustin, have you ever called a 1-900 number?
1: I don't believe so, no.
0: I'm really, really surprised to hear that.
1: Yeah, Nintendo, which would have been the only thing that I would have as a kid, they had a 1-800 number you called for most stuff. And I want to say that the like people who walked you through games, like if you needed to, which I never actually called... Um, that it wasn't a one nine hundred number. I think it was just like a toll call, and they had people on staff. It was it was like a weird. Oh, interesting. I could be wrong, and there was a one nine hundred number, but I don't remember. Um, I do remember that one eight hundred four two 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 six zero two was the Nintendo number that you called to get like if you were like, hey, when is this game coming out? Or like had like a question because <laughs> I called it all the all the time. As but a, it was as free. A,
0: it was toll yeah, free. Yeah, yeah, free. Okay, yeah, okay, okay. Well. I'm your host, Amanda, and this is episode 156. And as you've noticed, today I'm once again joined by my other half, Mr. Dustin Travis-White. Dustin, say hello to everyone.
1: Hello to everyone.
0: Ha uh, ha ha. And we're gonna be continuing our journey into the history of infomercials, which, by the way, every time I've typed that word, as we've been working on this series, I it's like a typo, I can't stop making it. My hand types infomercials, And I always have to, like, I don't know. Anyway, Google Docs lights up and I have to go back and fix it. Infomercials. If you haven't listened to part one yet, go back and give that a listen first because we cover a lot of the backstory in that part. But here's kind of where we left off at the end of the last episode. So by 1992, every think piece writer that existed was riled up enough about the influx of infomercials on the airwaves to write a few essays about it. There is no shortage of essays, uh, mostly filled with outrage, about infomercials in 1992. And what seemed to push them over the edge and get them to fire up their word processors was ABC's test of a new 30-minute infomercial-adjacent program called nightcap and that was n-i-t-e obviously right um and it was hosted by robin leach and ray don chong based on what we were able to find on the internet uh and those two IMDb (laughs) reviews. It seems like it was on the air for about 12 weeks. Um, But it's safe to say that by 1992, infomercials were a big business. They generated more than $750 million in product sales in 1991 alone. The first infomercial, which we watched a little bit of, uh, aired back in 1949. It was for the Vitamix blender and it was so wildly successful. That lots of other infomercials hit the airwaves here in the U.S., but they were so scammy that by the mid-50s, the FCC, that's the Federal Communications Commission, had to step in to limit the amount of advertising that could appear during an hour of television, effectively eliminating infomercials for a really long time. Before that even happened, Vitamix stopped making infomercials because they didn't want to be associated with snake oil and scammy products, which seems to be a good decision on their part. Uh, But like all things, peak capitalism and borderline dangerous for consumers, infomercials hit the airwaves again in the 1980s, thanks to massive deregulation of advertising by the Reagan administration. You know, speaking of Ronald Reagan, as I was working on this pair of episodes, I asked myself, am I the only person who thinks that a lot of the problems facing our society right now began during the reagan administration explicitly as the result of its policies and it turns out i'm guessing dustin you feel the same way right yeah yeah yeah. uh it turns out we're not alone um i found a great essay that i'm going to share in the show notes from peter dreyer for the nation it was written in 2011 and uh, 2011 was like such a simple (laughs) you know what i mean (laughs) It was just like brunches and partying and everything seemed okay, even though it wasn't. Uh, To think about how much the world changed around 2015, 2016, and how it just kept getting kind of shittier and scarier since then, Uh, to be writing this in 2011 feels very omniscient. Uh, Anyway, this article is called, this essay is called Reagan's Real Legacy. I'll share it in the show notes, but... I got a lot of information out, out of it, and I want to share some of it with you. So here here's a direct quote from the essay. During his two terms in the White House, 1981 to 1989, Reagan presided over a widening gap between the rich and everyone else, declining wages and living standards for working families, an assault on labor unions as a vehicle to lift Americans into the middle class a dramatic increase in poverty and homelessness, and the consolidation and deregulation of the financial industry that led to the current mortgage meltdown, foreclosure epidemic, and lingering recession. These trends were not caused by inevitable social and economic forces. They resulted from Reagan's policy and political choices based on an underlying you're-on-your-own ideology. So I'm just going to, before I continue this, Dustin, I'm, I'm going to tell you something I've never told you before. In third grade, we had a mock election at school for president. Actually, maybe it was more like first grade. I was really young. And it was like the regular presidential election, and we all voted, you know? Mm-hmm. And I did vote for Ronald Reagan, mostly because I didn't know who the other person was. And Ronald Reagan was on TV. <laughs> which
1: which Reagan election was that? I think it
0: probably been the second one. Mm. Yeah, so I don't know. Uh, I look back, and I'm still filled with great shame over it but he was so grandfatherly i think that's how he was painted to children right he was like america's grandfather
1: yeah no that's like the way that you know like i mean dude's an actor like yeah so like you know what i mean like of course like he's good you know it's easy to become whatever you want people to see you as if that's what you've been doing since forever you know
0: so something that dustin and i do when we're traveling especially overseas where we're dealing with a lot of jet lag is is we'll end up watching a movie over the period of like five days because we can't stay awake or we keep restarting it and the last time we were in japan we watched this documentary that was solely news clips of ronald reagan with like no commentary right
1: yeah there was no 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 editorializing it was just stuff Cut
0: together. And we watched this on the Criterion collection. Anyway, we'll find the name and I'll try to include it in the show notes. But I felt I mean, I've read a lot about Ronald Reagan since then. I've seen other documentaries. There was even a fictional mini series that I enjoyed. But ultimately, you can just watch that and you start to see how this worked it's magic on the american people and you can also see the cracks in it already mm-hmm. right so reagan's big thing i mean there were he had a lot of big things but the biggest one was smaller government essentially because he felt that government was holding back business and preventing people from being truly prosperous and free and there was another reagan miniseries that you and i watched back when we lived in burden in hand I think it was on some showtime. It was a documentary. It yeah. wasn't fictional. And what was interesting is it starts with Reagan's very early days and it seems like his his desire for smaller government, his desire to defund the government really stemmed from him not wanting to pay taxes.
1: <laughs> right. I mean, that's starting pretty what early it is. on in his
0: life, right? So like that's just another thing to keep in mind. But he really felt that government was preventing the United States from being this global superpower. I mean, it already was, but he wanted it to be bigger. Um, this is another quote from that Nation article by Peter Dreyer. He said, Indeed, Reagan's most important domestic legacy is our government's weakened ability to do its job project- protecting families, consumers, workers, and the environment. And there's some, there's a lot of stuff that Reagan did on his watch that we're still dealing with now, and I can't list all of it because then this would just be an episode about Ronald Reagan, which is... Something I would consider doing down the road, possibly, but... Among other things, he basically ignored the environmental impact of big business. This was the era of like polluted rivers and acid rain filling filling the news. The beginnings of the stories about the depletion of the ozone layer. Uh, his hands-off approach to regulating Wall Street and financial institutions really set up the subprime mortgage crisis and the recession of 2008. It made sure anyone who wasn't white couldn't get a good mortgage deal in the first place. He campaigned against these so-called welfare queens with the intent of dismantling the social safety net and just generally shaming anybody who relied on it as a person. Myself, who has been on government assistance, I've had Medicaid, I have received welfare, I've received food stamps. This was a long time ago, uh, you know, when Dylan's father passed away and I was a single parent. I can tell you people treated me like garbage. And I was just like, I'm sorry, I have no other resources and no one will hire me because I have a kid. You know, they're not saying that, but that's really why they won't give me a job. Um, I could go about on about that all day, too. Uh, he also froze the minimum wage at $3.55 an hour while the cost of living continued to increase. So basically what happened, which is what is similarly happening right now, is people are falling falling further and further behind because they can't keep up with increasing rent and food prices and everything else. Uh, the number of people living beneath the federal poverty line rose from 26.1 million in 1979 to 32.7 million in 1988. So for all of this, oh, like Reagan really grew the economy Hype that you would hear, it seems like he actually made it worse for a lot of people. He also tried to dismantle public housing and housing assistance. Uh, This according to The Nation. In his first year in office, Reagan cut the budget for public housing and Section 8 rent subsidies in half. The country immediately saw a steep increase in unhoused people, many of whom were Vietnam veterans, individuals with mental illness, and families with children. And I do remember, this is from my debate team years in high school, that one of Reagan's biggest legacy when he was governor of California is the deinstitutionalization of the mentally ill state, which just led these people to be generally unhoused or scooped up by the criminal justice system. Definitely untreated, for sure. Um, He sent cities into financial peril, uh, really declining the quality of life for those living in the cities. Uh, According to The Nation, Reagan eliminated general revenue sharing to cities, cut funding for public service jobs and job training, almost dismantled federally funded legal services for the poor, cut the anti-poverty community development block grant program, and reduced funds for public transit. In 1980, federal dollars accounted for 22% of big city budgets. By the end of Reagan's second term, federal aid was only 6%. This money that was no longer there had been used to fund schools, libraries, fire departments, hospitals, and sanitation, among other things. Many of these types of places places had to either close or make massive cutbacks in service. So basically, in other words, living in the city got a lot harder. Uh, and we can't forget that he threw out most of the regulations around advertising to children and to the American people as a whole. Wow. <laughs> I mean... You know, and he got a library named after him. I guess they all do, but yeah. still.
1: The, the, I mean, everything bad, you can, it, it's bizarre the amount that you can just pull back to that. And to be fair, there was a bunch of architects for all of this that were doing, that were like, piece, like wanting all this to happen through the 70s. And when Reagan came in, they had like a person that they were like, okay, cool. This is our guy. We got this now. And so um there's a lot of that that happens. And it's, it's, uh, but it's funny because, you know, like, if, if the time period that, you know, as I grew up, you know, if you were, like, listening to, like, punk records at all, like, Reagan is one of the people that are presented as the greatest enemies <laughs> in the world. <laughs> yeah. And so I just grew up assuming that. And then as I started to fact check that, you know, as an adult, it's like, I think they may have grossly underestimated or understated this, despite the fact that, you know, like, every song was about how much they hated reagan it still does not seem enough like cuz it's just it's 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 mind boggling what well, i mean and to and to be fair it was like 8 years pretty much unchecked of an administration so like you know uh, yeah it's
0: i mean i as I was digging into this, like I said, we could talk about this for hours because there were many other scandals and sketchy things going on. We can't forget Iran-Contra. There was even a scam where he was making sure that like his buddies were getting all the big housing and urban development contracts. I mean, there's so much stuff. Um, it's And it's interesting because people, I still hear people thinking like, oh, Reagan was the last good president. Reagan was the last good time in the United States. And I would just question the last good time for who? For whom, yeah, you know? So anyway, this is not a Ronald Reagan podcast, though it could become very easily, but actually we're just talking now, we're going to transition into how basically Reagan, Reagan's administration completely throwing out regulations around advertising paved the way for infomercials to return in a bigger and more profitable way. You know, as a reminder, which we talked about in the last episode, television stations sort of begrudgingly aired infomercials in the late night, early morning hours, as well as on the weekend afternoons, because not only did they not have to spend money to create or use content to fill those spots, they also got paid to air infomercials. So it was an easy, albeit, you know, embarrassing source of revenue in the midst of a sluggish economy, because, you know, the economy coming out of the Reagan administration and into George Bush, number one, was not great. So lots of money was made from infomercials in the 90s, and it continues to be made even in 2023, though it's a little bit different. And today we're going to talk about some of the most iconic infomercials of the 90s and the people and businesses behind them. We'll also talk about some of the biggest infomercial products of this century because they're still going strong. We won't be able to touch on every single one because there are just so many, but maybe Dustin and I can do a follow-up in the future infomercials, no matter what they were selling, always leaned on the same recipe. And I want you to keep these in mind as we move through this episode, because we're going to come back to this a few times. One was this mix of a talk show format, usually, but not always with a studio audience, right? So many of them looked like regular daytime television, not all of them, but most. Uh, There would always be a sprinkling of call-in or video testimonials from Real people. And I'm saying that with heavy air quotes because as a child, I believe they were real people. Now I'm a little skeptical. Um, there was always this act now call to action, which we also call the CTA in the biz, which usually promised a special price or a free gift for a limited time only. Act now, call within the next 10 minutes or the ship will have sailed. Although probably you could have called 10 hours later and still gotten the same deal. Yeah.
1: And who's like, exactly who's, who's checking that clock you yeah know? Like, exactly and i'm sure all that goes back to like the original like vitamix style of it where it was like actually being aired in real time being yeah. made then so like 10 minutes was 10 minutes but like when it's on five different stations in 20 different cities around the clock you know like what's 10 minutes
0: right right You know, and you have to think about, like, people love shopping. People use shopping as entertainment. Television is entertainment. And when you combine the two together, it is kind of a winning recipe. Especially, it's hard for me to remember these times, but it was a time when we didn't have internet, right? So your options for having fun at home were a little bit more (laughs) limited. And your options for shopping were a little bit more limited. So when we think of infomercials, we tend to think of stuff, right? Food dehydrators, cleaning implements, a whole litany of supplements and miracle pills. In fact, anytime I see a current contemporary infomercial, which only happens when we are in our RV and we're trying to get local stuff with the antenna, it is always some sort of weird pill or supplement or thing for arthritis.
1: (laughs) Well, anything now is just aimed at at older people because that's who's watching... broadcast tv like a, yeah. you know like yeah. other than like something that's like super hot airing that moment or something like a you know like not a game show but like a
0: the mask singer yeah
1: exactly <laughs> something like that is what yeah, i was thinking yeah yeah totally
0: but in the 90s there were also infomercials that were making a killing just from selling i don't know conversation psychic advice phone calls Yeah, we're talking about 1-900 numbers, which seem to come out of nowhere and be a really big thing for a few years there. For those of you who may have forgotten about 1-900 numbers because maybe you were too afraid that even thinking about them would run up your phone bill and then your mom would be mad, or maybe you were just lucky enough to not live in the era of 1-900 numbers they were numbers that you dialed from your touchtone phone, yes, from a landline, and you were charged a higher rate per minute than normal, local, or long-distance calls. Also, long-distance calls. Remember that?
1: Yeah. Yeah, I do. This <laughs> is so uh,
0: wild. Man, the phone company was making so much money.
1: <laughs> I know. I it's You know, though, you don't really hear, like, big phone really, like, complain. Nah. But, is it, but is it because, well, AT&T, you know, is a cell phone character, right, more right. like one of the I mean, another wild thing in this time period, too, where, like, when there was, like, suddenly multiple long-distance carriers yeah, that you yeah, could get. Yeah, yeah,
0: totally, and they always had commercials. Yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, phone was a big business back then, and I suppose cell phones are a big business now, understatement. But I look back with the hindsight of an adult, whereas I was a child in this era, and I'm like, oh, my God, the phone companies were making... So much money. In fact, in college, you know, we had a landline in our room and uh, you when you called long distance on it, what you were really doing is you were calling through some sort of service that NYU had picked to be the long distance carrier for the whole campus. And then NYU got a cut of what you paid for that phone call. It was ridiculous. Um, there was just so much money being made off of phones.
1: And there was, you know, and there was commercials too for when there was suddenly the The calling collect services. Mm -hmm. Like one eight hundred collect. And I know that I've I've joked about this with you before, but in that time period, one of my favorite like wouldn't really call it a scam, but like things so when you would call, you know, use one-eight hundred collect or whatever, they would be there would be this little prompt like say your name or whatever. And then whenever someone whoever got this call answered, it, it would be like, You have a collect call from, and then it would play this little recording yeah you had like a couple seconds to say your full name or something but what i would use it for was as quickly as you could in that time period say give someone a message basically like so they'd be like "Uh, you have a collect call from hey i'll be there in 15 minutes Yeah, like (laughs) like whatever you would cram into because either it was just more than a quarter to call this person you know or whatever and you didn't have it in your pocket or just because you want to spend a quarter because like you know and this was a big a big thing and i don't even know how i discovered it but i feel like it ties into all those 1-800 collect commercials Oh, there were so
0: many and they were always on mtv like they knew they knew their target audience um so the very first 1-900 number was used in 1980 yeah we're already getting back to ronald reagan it's only been a couple minutes when nightline which was an abc news magazine asked viewers who they thought won the Ronald Reagan-Jimmy Carter presidential debate. Viewers could call and vote for a mere 50 cents, which I would say is probably more like $1.50, $2 now. Um, And then at the end, AT&T totaled the calls and reported on them. And unfortunately, Reagan won. Gosh, I bet so many people are kicking themselves right now who voted in that. (laughs) You know? Anyway, uh, so the early... 1900 numbers tended to be information-focused, some more intriguing than others. Some of these you're going to love, Dustin. So there was one called Dial-A-Shuttle. By the way, the early 1900 and 1800 numbers seem to always be Dial-A, insert noun here. So Dial-A-Shuttle, which was 1900-909-NASA, you could call that and you could listen to live conversation between space shuttle crews and ground control, which sounds vaguely fun. Okay, more on the basic end of it, you could call and find out the weather, right? Um, this one I know you're going to love because uh, you just love some cyanide tampering. Uh, Johnson and Johnson used a one nine hundred number to share information about the infamous cyanide Tylenol tampering.
1: If 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 you've never done it before, I recommend to everyone to go and listen to the um, radio commercials that they would air in this time period about the cyanide poisoning because they are trying to be very soft-spoken and like helpful but um when you hear it on the radio and it's this like hey we're sorry voice it's (laughs) and it's loud it's terrifying you know i i I, there was a radio show we were listening to in the van one time and they played one and it was like 4 a.m and we're doing this all night drive and it was the most terrifying thing and this was pre just going on youtube and listening to something like this again so it was just something that we were like was that real or was that like a fever dream in the middle of the night
0: yeah that sounds pretty creepy they, for re- sure. it
1: re- they really really are i mean
0: it was a scary thing yeah. to be like oh you may have you may have bought medicine that will kill you yeah yeah uh so the thing about these numbers is that while customers paid to use them the phone company kept all the money so like NASA didn't get a cut, Johnson Johnson didn't cut a cut, but you would call to pay for the minute or by the call to get this information. So it was like a little extra revenue source for the phone companies. In 1987, AT&T, and I can already see this, I, I can picture it. They're like, well, we're running out of ways to make money off of people. And now all of these long distance carriers are showing up like, and taking away market share. Uh, how do we get to make even more money next year? And someone was like, hey, well, like the, you know, that dial of shuttle's been making us some money, <laughs> whatever. So <laughs> AT&T opened up the rest, the use of 1-900 numbers to any entrepreneur. And by 1989, all of the major telephone companies followed because they were like, oh my God, this is some money. These 1-900 numbers were wildly lucrative for both the phone companies and the entrepreneurs because... Phone companies handled the billing and collection. So if you call their one hundred number, you paid the phone company. It was on your phone bill, right? They would take a cut of that money and then give the rest to the entrepreneur. So it was, in many ways, kind of like a passive income for the phone companies, mm-hmm. you know? Now... I could do a whole episode about 1-900 numbers alone because it's a long and complicated history and it's very interesting. For example, Congress passed a law banning so-called dial-up porn in 1988 that was immediately overturned by the Supreme Court a year later. People were like, no, you can have dial-up porn. The news was filled with cautionary tales of children ringing up $10,000 phone bills, families destroyed by phone companies, Company debt like losing their houses kids calling phone sex lines and i don't know hearing weird stuff i guess and there were just so many of these numbers for things as innocent as crossword puzzle help or video game tips to more sinister or at least more adult things like dating and phone sex and a lot of celebrities made money off of the 1900 era for example Corey Haim and Corey Feldman's fan hotline, which I thought, you know what? We, we should watch this. So I'm well, going. Well,
1: doesn't even, you know, in the uh, sort of not. Yeah.
0: The Simpsons. I know what you're going to talk yeah. about. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yes. When when even Lisa Simpson got caught up in.
0: And it was Corey in that, in that too, right? It
1: was. Yeah. But it, I mean, it was like an amalgam of, of both of them into just one guy called Corey that was like, yeah,
0: Yeah. so let's take a look. I haven't seen this Corey Hotline commercial in a really, really long time. So let's take a listen.
2: Guess what? Corey Haim and Corey Feldman are giving out their personal numbers. No! If you call 1-900-909-3700, you can listen to their private phone messages and get their personal number where you can leave them a message of your own. $2 the first minute, 45 cents each additional minute. Ask your parents before you call. one 909 3700
3: If you call me right now, I'll give you my private number. Um, you call that number, and you'll hear a recording, and I'll give you my personal number if you call that, um, and we'll
1: wrap.
0: Okay, well, just if you call, then I'll give you my personal number, and we'll wrap. Do you really think you were going to get Corey Hame's personal phone number if you call? Yeah, yeah, I do. And then, and then you would wrap?
1: Yeah, you would.
0: Um, who would you rather talk to, Corey Feldman or Corey Haim?
1: Uh, Corey Feldman, right?
0: I don't, I would have picked Corey Haim. I had a huge poster of him in my bedroom. Wait, which one's which? Corey Feldman is the darker one. I would say, like, he's got a darker persona, and Corey uh, Haim looks younger and is sort of like the sweet one.
1: Right. Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah. Anyway. Uh, Gosh, if any of you have called that hotline, please report back. We want to know. Uh, Paula Abdul had a hotline where you would call and she would supposedly have news for you. Uh, this is not a real person, but a celebrity nonetheless. He-Man. This one was directed towards children, although I would say so were the other ones we've talked about. Um, and that one eventually you know, got pulled because parents were getting crazy He-Man phone bills. Hulk Hogan had a, a line, not surprised. This is like peak Hulk Hogan-ness. Yeah. I read a BuzzFeed article about some of the weirdest 1-900 numbers of this era and I'll share it with you, but I just have this quote from this I thought was so funny and so Hulk Hogan. According to a factoid flagged citation needed on Wikipedia, the Hulkster's line was the most profitable 900 number from 1991 to 1993 on at and I don't know if I believe that. I don't that.
1: believe that at all. That- Maybe
0: profitable. Cause He recorded one thing, but it seemed a little weird to me,
1: it, yeah. I mean, that's not even like peak hulkamaniac, that's like after he's kind of like, you, No, no, that doesn't add Does That I citation is definitely needed for that. Yeah,
0: New Kids on the Block had a hotline. I remember seeing these commercials. Um, Freddy Krueger, also a fictional person. Had a hotline, too. And I do remember seeing this commercial and thinking it was scary. For some reason, the guy who played Grandpa Munster on the Munsters had a hotline. Uh, There were lots of other WWF stars and gorgeous ladies of wrestling with their own 1-900 number. Here's one you would have wanted to call, Dustin. Kiss.
1: I mean, that just makes sense. any, any, Any way, shape, or form that there is a dollar to be made, Kiss will... It's true. They make caskets.
0: Yeah, there you go. Um, Warrant, line. Okay, yeah. Um, Santa. So the thing about the Santa thing, it was really messed up, everyone. The commercial would tell children to hold their phone up to the screen, and a special tone played on the commercial that would trigger the phone to auto-dial the 1-900 number. So naturally, parents were outraged, (laughs) Um, This reminds me of that time I was a little high and I was talking about Santa as a man making a career out of exploitation and forced labor. Remember? Remember Yeah, I I do. I I don't even know if it was Christmas time, everyone, but uh, this just further reinforces my skepticism of Santa.
1: that's, that's, That's wild because the old phone system, when they switched from rotary to touch tone, everything's running off of pitches. Like it's not, when you were hitting those buttons, all they are are tones. So that's why there was like, the the these things that people would make that would generate the tones that you would then go to a payphone and hit the button, and it would make the payphones just work, and you could you know make uh, long distance calls and stuff. But I've never heard of anyone doing that. Like that's wild. And the because like a kid who couldn't dial like just to hold it up and it happened is just like
0: that's so unethical that's like the
1: most amazingly conniving thing i've heard in in a while i'm i'm frankly i'm very impressed by santa's hotline
0: it's well it's really called santa's special phone
1: oh okay the big ones go in the red boxes and the little ones
4: go in the green boxes got that yes Santa. and don't forget to feed my reindeer (laughs) hello boys and girls Getting ready for Christmas sure is hard work. But now that I have a moment to spare, I set up my special Christmas phone just for you. So get your parents' permission and call 1-900-909-4300. To hear all about Santa's wonderful, magical Christmas time. (laughs) Kids, call Santa's special phone at 1-900-909-4300 to hear Santa's magical Christmas message and find out how you can get a real letter from Santa Claus and a special present, too. $2 the first minute, 45 cents each additional. Ask mom or dad.
0: So this is the version without the tone. I couldn't find it anywhere, but I... I read a lot about all of the legal issues, which I think is why it's like not, does not exist on the yeah. internet now. Um, but wow, what a f- scam to get children to call that. Yeah. It really like, it makes me irate for those parents, $2 for the first minute, 45 cents for the extra minutes after that, that that adds up pretty fast. So then there were just some weird ones. There are a couple of weird ones that I just like wanted us to, to listen to because, uh, i'm i'm just wondering like for some of these the target audience here so the first one i mean i am the target audience of this one it was one just about ufos
4: here it is the ufo hotline your phone number to the biggest cover-up ever call 1-900-909-ufos although we warn you to be prepared this may be the most shocking phone call you'll ever make here, up to the minute UFO sightings and extraterrestrial contacts. Call one nine hundred nine zero nine UFOs. Are extraterrestrial visitors real? Experience the contact. Call now.
0: So the thing about a lot of these commercials is, like. Or just these one nine hundred numbers as a whole. Now these aren't infomercial length ones, but there's just tons of these ads. Is that you can tell that the commercials cost like nothing to make? Yeah,
1: I was thinking that the entire time of that one, whenever it was just a title over, yeah, black. I was like, oh my god, the return on investment on this is huge. Right.
0: And you just have someone go in. It doesn't even have to be a voice actor, honestly. Yeah. Record a, like an hour of audio mm-hmm. you know you get someone to call i mean like let's think about the the math of this all if you're paying two dollars for the first minute and 35 cents for the each additional mi- minute which you're doing with the U- ufos then you are making uh 22 dollars 65 off of someone calling if they stay on for an hour mm-hmm. with minimal work you know so ufo uh I've never seen that one before, but it would have been tempting to me. Now, this next one, I did see, and we're going to watch it, and then I'm going to tell you the very limited information I was able to find about this. I'll tell you, I had forgotten about this one, and then I saw the commercial, and I was like, right. This one was always on late on MTV, specifically. (laughs)
5: What makes people all over America break down and cry like this? Call 1-900-740-3500 and hear it for yourself. Two dollars per minute. If you're under 18, ask your parents before you call. 1-900-740-3500.
0: I'll just tell you all, I'm going to share the links for you to watch all of these in the show notes. This is definitely one you should watch just for the crying faces alone. They are wild. I this think is, they hired actors for this.
1: This is like an art installation. Right?
0: Do you remember this one? V- possibly
1: very vaguely.
0: I remember it. And of course, I had no interest in calling it. But I, I wondered to myself, as we were working on this episode... What was the crying hotline like? What did you get when you called? And all I could find was a story of someone saying, "I called it with my friends in junior high. It was just really sad stories." And when we called, we got a got a guy. It was a recording of a guy telling a story about his girlfriend dying in a motorcycle accident, and we all laughed because it was cheesy, and we hung up.
1: I mean, that makes sense. It's like uh, <laughs> that, like Radiohead video where everybody's just like laying in the street. <laughs> Do you think that that was just a direct result of the crying hotline? I think
0: it was. I think it was. You know, what I love about the company that put out the crying hotline, I want to say what they're called, like, creative communications or something, is that they said, hey, this is an esoteric idea, but we're going to fund it. <laughs> because."
1: I mean, I can't, again, I can't imagine that it costs that much. And I have a feeling that enough people were just like, what the hell is this? I got to find out to call it. Like, you right. know, it's, it's purely a... Like, what is at the other end of this tunnel situation?
0: It totally is. And in a pre-internet era, 1-900 numbers were a source of entertainment. Like, people called them because they were bored, right? Sometimes, maybe it was a source of information, definitely a little bit of socialization. And of course, for many, it was a source of sexual contact or just sexiness in general. Don't just think about a
3: fantasy tonight. Pick up the phone and call the fantasy girls. We never let you down. You'll always get a different girl and fantasy every time you call. Hot, hot fantasy in the privacy of your own home. Totally private and strictly confidential. Let us make your dream come true tonight. Call a fantasy girl in your area now. Just $10 a
1: call
0: for adults only. Okay, so the number for that one was 1-900-GO-TO-BED. Yeah. (laughs) Which I love. I love. That was great. Um, That one was just $10. I wonder how long you got to be on the phone. There had to be a cash. There's a cash Yeah, there's definitely a cash.
1: So, you know, those were, I feel like, the most prevalent, like, when you were up late, obviously. And whenever I first moved to Columbus, um, I had a lot of friends who worked answering calls of that ilk it was like there was a hub or something so it felt like suddenly so many friends worked for this this one in particular and it was a really weird thing to discover like suddenly like that all these people that i knew that was their like you know work from home gig in the <laughs> in the you know early aughts um late 90s
0: well, 1-900 numbers were a huge business, generating about $60 million in 1988 and growing to a billion dollars in 1991. They peaked in 1993, coming in at $3 billion, all parsed out by the minute. Um, these were definitely fueled by some of the heavy hitters of the 1-900 infomercials. One of those people was Jessica Hahn. Dustin, do you know how Jessica Hahn is? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, for those of you who don't know, she was thrust into fame in the 1980s when she was sexually assaulted by televangelist Jim Baker, leader of the PTL. It was a massive scandal. It turned out that wasn't even the most, well, it should have been the most scandalous thing, but it was sort of the tip of the iceberg because it also turned out he'd been engaging in a lot of fraud and financial crimes and other stuff. Like, the whole church was dismantled, basically. He went to prison. Um, this is Jim Baker, the lesser-known husband of Icon Tammy Faye Baker. Uh, because the media and our world as a whole still doesn't know how to treat sexual assault victims or to treat women as a whole— They don't understand the care and respect that should be there. Uh, She was tabloid fodder for years and years and years. I even found shitty articles about her written in this century where they were just like painting her as like attention seeking trollop or something. It was horrible. Her first 1 900 number, yes, that's right, she had more than one, was called Jessica Hahn Tells All, in which callers could pay by the minute to hear the truth about what really happened with Jim Baker. I would suspect it was not 100% the full truth because the full truth, which involved drugging and sexual assault, probably wasn't something people really were open to hearing at that point. But here's the commercial for Jessica Hahn Tells All.
3: I'm Jessica Hahn, and when people hear my name, they think of headlines, scandal, and controversy. But very few people know my side of the story, and almost no one knows how I really feel. Now I'm ready to reveal the secrets I have held for so long and share my most personal thoughts with you. You'll be shocked and amazed at what I have to say about Jessica Hahn.
4: Jessica Hahn tells all. Call 1-900-568-6868. $2 a minute.
0: That one was $2 a minute. Yeah, not
1: just the first minute.
0: All the minutes. Woo! Okay, so apparently this 1-900 number was so successful that it led to a new 1-900 number and an entire infomercial to support it. It was called Jessica Hahn Love Phone. I'm going to tell you, this one is kind of lost to the world. I felt a little confused about what would happen when you would call Jessica Hahn Love Phone based on watching the infomercial. I was like, is this like, I don't know, phone sex? Is it recordings? Is it a dating service. I was confused by the whole thing uh, and no one has talked about it anywhere on the internet. But here's a little clip from it, Dustin, and you tell me what you think is happening here.
4: Join us now for the most unique, most exciting, most revealing show on television. Love Phone with Jessica Hahn. Where your hopes come alive. Where your dreams become reality. Where your fantasies come true. Love Phone with special guests Playboy centerfold Donna Spear. Actor Gary Dubin. Plus Love Boat, L.A. Law, Murder, She Wrote and feature film actress
6: Judy Landers. And now, Jessica Hahn.
3: Hi, welcome to Love Phone. I want to thank everyone for making Love Phone such a tremendous success from New York to LA, Chicago to Dallas to Miami. Millions of people tuned in to pick up their phones and connect with sincere singles for love and romance on Love Phone. Now, we're going to take a look at dreams, dream dates and fantasies. That's right. You'll hear revealing secrets and fantasies from people just like you. Plus, you'll actually be able to pick up your phone and reach out to girls and guys who want to share their special fantasy with you. And in a little while, you'll even get to hear my fantasy. But first, listen to this. Love Phone invites you to dial the number on your screen to hear real romance fantasies from our special TV guests. Plus, you'll be able to share your fantasy too so pick up your phone and call it's easy and it's so much fun the charge for the call is just two dollars a minute and when you connect with our special guests, you can even find a way to make your dreams and fantasies come true together because love phone brings people together for fantasy fun phone talk and dating whether you're looking for a phone friend or a lifelong romance love phone is here for
0: you so are we ready Okay, so this one leans into that popular talk show format, right? Yeah. Um, and behind the stage, there's like a neon that says, Love Phone, the fantasy comes true. As far as I can tell, for this one, you would call the number and you could pick mm-hmm. someone whose recorded message you would hear. I'm not sure if it's
1: recorded or if they're live, but th- th- this is the style. And, you know, there were... um. Sorry. I read that first comment. Oh yeah,
0: someone commented on YouTube. Wow, the good old '80s when women were still gorgeous and classy. Sorry, I, I yeah, yeah I, I, um, I know it was the good old '80s, everyone. But
1: no, so so this this format, this this structure, um, it's kind of akin to like almost like the, the party line style, where like you would call you'd instead of being randomly given to someone, you would hit an extension number, and in this case, it's. Um, it, Might not actually even, you know, truly be that person, but it's supposed to so that you have, especially if they're presenting it in this format, like a visual identity of this person. So you're not like questioning that, you know, and then that you would get them. And it, I'm not sure that it's a recording. I think it's supposed to be live since it's supposed to be like a chat. Um,
0: Yeah, it was really interesting. So like the, I watched almost a full 30 minute episode of this infomercial and it, uh, it's It consists of a lot of different things. The big hub of it all is this talk show format with like a live studio audience and their guests who come up on stage and talk about what romance is to them, their romantic fantasies. But then there are also clips of so-called real people, all women, out on the beach and in other places talking about their romantic fantasies. And then ostensibly, like, if you see someone on here, you can call and you'll get to talk to them. I'm sure that's the scam of it all. But 30 minutes of this and guests would get up and be like, tell me about like the best date you've had or what are you looking for in a man? And this was definitely marketed towards men because I didn't see any men sharing romantic stories. No, there was a man in, there was the, one. Yeah. In,
1: in that bit. And again, that honestly surprised me to see. Um, I would not be surprised if this was just like an existing thing. And they were like, okay...
0: Let's put Jessica Hahn on it. Yeah, Yeah, I think so too. Let's let's get
1: a spokesperson like that because then people will pay attention, you know? Yeah. Like, you wouldn't be talking about this now if that wasn't Jessica Hahn.
0: Like I said, coverage of Love Phone has all but disappeared from the internet, so I don't have much info here, but... It was very heavily aired in the early 90s. Like, it was in popular rotation in, like, 91, 92. This is one that would become an obvious first casualty of the Internet. Because, spoiler, the Internet is a big reason that 1-900 numbers aren't around anymore. Um, Because you could get all the sexy stories or chat with potential romantic partners on the Internet, right? You wouldn't need to call and pay by the minute to talk to someone. Let's take a moment to thank some of the incredible small businesses who keep Clotheshorse going via their generous Patreon support. Selena Sanders, a social impact brand that specializes in upcycle clothing using only reclaimed, vintage, or thrifted materials from tea towels, linens, blankets, and quilts. Sustainably crafted in Los Angeles, each piece is designed to last in one's closet for generations to come. Maximum style, minimal carbon footprint Vino Vintage, based just outside of L.A. We love the hunt of shopping secondhand because you never know what you might find. Catch us at flea markets around Southern California by following us on Instagram at vino.vintage so you don't miss our next event. Gabriella Antonis is a visual artist and an ethical trade fashion designer help one person of any size at a time, including beyond size 40. To inquire about this serendipitous intersectional offering of either concept, DM her on Instagram to book a consultation. Please follow her on Instagram and Twitter at Gabriella Antonis. And that's Gabriella with one L. Gotta get that spelling right. Dylan Page is an online clothing and lifestyle brand based out of St. Louis, Missouri. Our products are chosen with intention for the conscious community. Everything we carry is animal-friendly, ethically made, sustainably sourced, and cruelty-free. Dylan Page is for those who never stop questioning where something comes from. We know that personal experience dictates what's sustainable for you, and we are here to help guide and support you to make choices that fit your needs. Check us out at DylanPage.com and find us on Instagram at style. Salt Hats, purveyors of truly sustainable hats, hand-blocked, sewn, and embellished in Detroit, Michigan. Find us on Instagram at Salt Hats. Gentle Vibes Vintage In addition to clothing, the shop also features a large selection of vintage vinyl and old school video games. Find them on Instagram at High Energy Vintage, online at highenergyvintage.com, and at markets in and around Boston. Vagabond Vintage DTLV is a vintage clothing, accessories, and decor reselling business based in downtown Las Vegas, Nevada. Not only do we sell in Las Vegas, but we're also located throughout resale markets in San Francisco, as well as at a curated boutique called Lux and Ivy located in Indianapolis, Indiana. Jessica, the founder and owner of Vagabond Vintage DTLV, recently opened the first IRL location located in the Arts District of downtown Las Vegas on august 5th the shop has a strong emphasis on 60s and 70s garments single stitch tees and dreamy loungewear follow them on instagram at vagabond vintage dtlv and keep an eye out for their website coming fall of 2022 so the most iconic everyone i think has seen this one 1-900 infomercial of the 90s was Dion Warwick's Psychic Friends Network. In fact, it was the most frequently broadcasted infomercial in the early 90s. And the number and the infomercial were run by a company called InfoMation, but it was I-N-P-H-O, InfoMation. Wow. Um, they created other one numbers with corresponding infomercials, like spoiler or just something we're going to be talking about time and time again here. And we even touched on it, I think, already with the 1-900 numbers, is that all of these infomercials were run basically by just a small group of businesses who would take an idea and just keep iterating on it, right? And the 1-900 numbers were a great example of it because they were pretty low overhead and you could just churn out these, you know, just churn out a commercial for a small amount of money, play it over and over again, and constantly be seeing revenue rolling in. I always go down some really deep rabbit holes to find information for Close Horse, and I stumbled across this 1998 Slate article called What Psychic Friends Failed to Foresee, which was essentially about how and why Information filed for bankruptcy in 1998. Now, I was actually surprised that they hung on for that long because the fact that they would declare bankruptcy in the late 90s was not shocking to me. Uh, It was the same reasons that all the 1-900 numbers eventually went away. The Internet, uh, lack of changing with the times, mismanagement. A lot of these 1-900 numbers specifically got into a lot of legal issues all the time. I mean, like, look. He-Man, Santa, no one is safe, right? There was a lot of fraud and mismanagement of funds and on and on, just like like I said, we could do a whole series about 1-900 numbers alone because there's so much to tell you there. But I did find some interesting facts about the Psychic Friends Network. So between 1993 and 1994, the infomercial aired more than 12,000 times. Just wanna remind you all, that there are 365 days in a year, and in two years, there are only 730. So this show was was airing many times every day. At one point, information was shelling out half a million dollars a week to buy airtime on cable stations. And at its peak, Psychic Friends was bringing in as much as $125 million a year, most of it directly through the infomercials. So Dustin hit on this a little bit earlier. When callers dialed the Psychic Friends network number, they would be transferred to a network of, and I'm putting this in quotes, psychics working from their homes. It was the remote job of the 90s.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, it, it it's interesting because like in in this format, there's only two ways that this works. Like you either like are, there's a hub that they would forward calls to like your home phone whether it'd be like a call center style variation on this too. And that's all that's also too why so many of these companies would just iterate because they already had the equipment to either transfer these calls or they already had, you know, like a call center. Um and I remember in the the Psychic Friends with uh, the Miss Cleo documentary, there there's references to both systems in place because it probably just depends at what volume you're doing. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's interesting because like if you've ever been inside of a call center, it's, like, just the most clinical office building in, like, the suburbs. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. I, I briefly, I did it for, like, a couple of days um, whenever I lived in Pittsburgh. And it was weird. Like, it was so weird to just walk in there, put a headset on, sit at a desk, and there's a script. And you got to call people and say the same thing. And, um... Yeah, yeah.
0: It's weird, yeah. So, basically, you know, if you were a customer here, you would call the number, and then you would be transferred to someone somewhere. And it was in the in- best interest of the psychic to connect with the caller and keep them on the line as long as possible. According to Slate, in the final years of Psychic Friends, calls were three ninety nine dollars per minute. It's wild. That's wild. That is wild, right? And so the people who took the calls, they they were sort of incentivized, and this is like in a pre-algorithm era, but you would basically get a call about every 20 minutes. So to maximize your working hours and make money, your goal was to keep people on the phone for as close to 20 minutes every time. Otherwise, you'd get a call, they'd hang up, and then you'd wait. 18 minutes day at another call so if you're only getting a couple calls an hour you're not really making any money right um it is not like an hourly wage it's say you get paid by the call and people made good money doing this if they had the knack so let's take a look at one of the psychic friends network infomercials. I just did the coolest thing. (laughs) I called the Psychic Friends and it was so neat and I told her everything. And I
5: felt really exhilarated and really good and and I was happy. I I really was. When I was finished with the call, I told everyone.
3: I kind of had a warm feeling. I felt excited. I definitely had a rush. I feel uplifted, actually.
5: She gave me energy. It was fun. I would love to call her again. One call to the Psychic Friends network just made a total difference in my life.
3: Everybody in the audience that would like to have some psychic advice from our resident Master Psychic, raise your hand.
0: Okay, so the format of Psychic Friends Network uh, infomercial was the same as all the other ones. It would start with, like, here's some testimonials from real people. Um, My favorite part of this particular clip that we just watched is that there's a woman on a cruise ship.
1: If you look, um, uh, most of those clips are... Like a rat, like they're in the zone around a cruise ship. Like the guy was talking, what's like a stairwell near one. You're right. The other woman was facing like a harbor. Like it's like, why?
0: Yeah, but then there was that woman from The Young and the Restless. Did you see her at the yeah. end? There, a real celebrity. Um, so it would start with the clips. Um, and then, you know, it would go into the studio audience and there's Dionne Warwick. Uh, I swear they use the same set for a lot of these. And basically the format of every episode was that she would be co-hosted by a psychic who would take questions from people in the audience. Um, I assume these people were planted and, you know, then they would return to like, let's see some more clips from people who have had success here. Uh, Very, very familiar format that we have already seen. So Psychic Friends Network should not be confused with Psychic Readers Network, which was owned by a company called Access Resource Services, a company that had constant legal and financial issues. This was the home of Miss Cleo. Wow. Oh. Yes. Another icon of the late night infomercials. Do yourself a favor and watch the HBO documentary about Miss Cleo. It was so good. And it's actually what inspired me to work on these episodes. So I found during my internet spelunking about infomercials, an Exo Jane article from 2012 called It Happened to Me. I was a phone psychic for Miss Cleo. And it touches upon a few of the tricks of the 1-900 game. Uh, so I'm just going to read, read some things I've pulled from that. First off, the whole point was two things. Keeping people on the phone as long as possible. The more calls would come through, also the more money I would earn. And giving people confidence. In other words, telling people what they want to hear, even if we had to make it up. Great, I've worked in sales before. I could totally do that. We were instructed on different techniques of keeping people on the phone. When a person just asks one question, we were supposed to tell them that we needed to feel their vibe to get their energy before we could answer any questions. The scripts were very general. You'll come across some money. Love is in the future. Someone at work is jealous of you. Someone at work likes you, yada, yada, yada. We also had the tarot script, which was the same bunch of general information. And then the writer tells the story of the trainer saying, Oh yeah, if anyone asks to speak with Miss Cleo, tell them she's on vacation in South Florida. So, you know, we knew that this was kind of a scammy situation. There is a famous psychic who worked with um, who worked with Dion Warwick on Psychic Friends, who wrote a tell-all years later about how basically these psychics were not psychic at all. They were I mean, none of this surprises you, right? And so a lot of these companies who were doing psychic phone calls, you know, Psychic Friends Network and Psychic Readers Network were not the only ones out there, but they were definitely the biggest, the most brand recognition, the ones that were constantly being paid parodied on Saturday Night Live or In Living Color, that kind of thing. Uh, There were plenty of other ones out there with less brand recognition, but they all would get into a lot of legal issues around fraud, that like these people aren't really psychics, you're bilking people, you're charging a lot of money. And so while in many ways these 1-900 infomercials were kind of like easy money in certain regards, they also weren't as profitable as they could be because there were constant legal issues all the time. So, despite that peak in 1993 of three billion dollars, the 1-900 industry declined pretty rapidly after that, thanks to a few things. One was greater regulation of phone sex and pornographic numbers. At some point in the mid '90s, uh, they were no longer to, 1-900 numbers were no longer allowed to be sex numbers. And so instead you'd have to call a 1-800 number and give them your credit card, which sounds sketchier. I'm sure AT&T was crying its way to the bank over that though, like losing that cut. Right. Um, There was a gradual shift in consumer sentiment regarding 1-900 numbers. I mean, when you hear that maybe there aren't really real psychics working with Miss Cleo and Dion, it kind of sours you, you know? And of course, then you've got that Santa (laughs) infomercial and all this other stuff that starts to feel like people are like, ew, I don't want that, right? You could, at that point, Congress passed a law that enabled people to block their phones from calling 1-900 numbers just to protect their families. And of course, there was the rise of the internet. You don't need phone sex when you can get porn on demand, right? You could meet people from all over the world in chat rooms and talk about whatever you wanted. There was a whole internet to browse and entertain you, right? Like you you didn't need to just call and see what the quarries were up to anymore. (laughs) Um, So... It began to decline and decline faster and faster. And in 2002, AT&T announced that it would no longer support billing and collections for these numbers. My suspicion that AT&T was like, we can... Leave that behind us because now we're going to give you all really high cell phone bills and we're going to charge you for roaming and minutes and texts and all these other things for the rest of time. And we don't need 1-900 number money anymore, right? Verizon somehow held out until 2009, which makes me laugh because I've had a Verizon phone most of my adult life and I've always found them to be one of the scammiest phone companies. They all are, right? Big phone, man. It's a problem. So let's shift our direction here to talk about some of the iconic products and sellers of the golden era of infomercials. So we talked about this guy, the man, the myth, the legend, in the last episode, Ron Popeil. He was the guy of infomercials, and in case you missed it, there's also a Weird Al song about him, which I love. So Ron Popeil allegedly invented the phrase, but wait, there's more. I believe it. I believe it. He was born in 1935, and he went to college for about six months, but it just wasn't the right thing for him. So instead, he started focusing on inventions, and that's, that's where his passion was. His father, Samuel Popiel, was also an inventor and salesman, so they worked together. In 1963, Samuel invented the Vegomatic food processor. You know, it slices, it dices. That's mm-hmm. where that came from. Next, he invented the Chop-O-Matic, which was another food processor. And the incredible efficiency of the Chop-O-Matic was essentially the reason Ron got into television. Because the issue with the Chop-O Matic was that it processed vegetables and fruits so fast and so easily that it was impossible for a salesman to carry all of the produce needed to demonstrate it all day long at each fair and expo. It was costing so much money in produce. Yeah. So instead, the company filmed Ron demonstrating the Chop-O-Matic with the intention of showing this video rather than demonstrating IRL. People loved it. He was a real-born salesman, which we can all agree. And it was so successful that the company began to air it as a commercial on television. And chop I want to say it was $3.98. They sold millions of them. In 1964, Ron started his own company, Ronco. Very clever. Uh, and, you know, for a while there, he and his father's business were essentially competing in the kitchen gadget landscape. I know. Over the decades, he invented a lot of stuff. I don't even this this is not even an exhaustive list, but I'm gonna mention some of them here. One was the dialomatic, which was a successor to the Vegomatic, very similar to a mandolin slicer, uh, which we have one, and every time I use it, I cut my hand. So maybe I need a dialomatic. Um the the gimmick here was slice a tomato so thin it only has one side when chopping onions with this machine the only tears you will shed will be tears of joy wow these are are, this is quality writing yeah uh mr microphone another invention yeah i knew you would like that one it was a short-range handheld radio transmitter That would broadcast over an FM radio. Did you have one of these?
1: No, I did not, but they were really cool. They were really
0: cool. Uh, Something called the Inside the Shell Egg Scrambler, which actually won some awards. Basically scrambled up the egg before you even broke it. The Showtime Rotisserie with its tagline, set it and forget it. This one's so gross. I don't even know if I can say this out loud, but it was sold in tandem with the Showtime Rotisserie. It was the solid flavor injector. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Uh the Ronco popiel Automatic Pasta Maker. The Electric Food Dehydrator, which we mentioned in the last episode. The <laughs> this is one I I missed the memo on. The Ronco Rhinestone Stud Center. Sign me up. I know, right? I mean it's a bedazzler, right? Yeah. It changes everyday clothing into exciting fashions, and you don't have to spend a fortune um and something called this i just had to include this because it has the best name the cap snaffler it was a bottle opener okay snaffles cap, snaffles caps off of any size jug bottle or jar and it really really works he also had this like world's smallest fishing rod which i remember seeing commercials for um all all kinds of stuff all kinds of stuff and ron was really the master of all of the tricks of selling that we learned in the last episode value beyond price, that call to action, special deals that are only available now, really demonstrating what the product did. I mean, everything was right out of that Vitamix infomercial playbook. Let's watch a clip of the 2001 Showtime Rotisserie infomercial.
4: Those people calling in and ordering, you can order a black machine, too, if it fits the decor of your kitchen. So you can get a white one or a black one, just tell the operator, okay? The price. You're wondering what the price is? You buy them in the stores, they come in a very fancy box, and you pay a very fancy price. Here during the infomercial, we have a special, if you help us advertise them, all you spend for this fabulous machine that will last your lifetime, that will give you quality food like you've never had before, the best tasting food, that you, a machine that's so darn easy to clean, all you spend for this fabulous machine is just five Easy monthly payments of only nineteen dollars and ninety nine cents. What do you think of that? Under twenty dollars a month. Can't beat it. You can't. And look what you get. Look what you get. You get the dual heating tray. Keeps two vegetables piping hot. And of course you're going to get the non-stick basket. Now the basket you use for all your small items, your chicken wings and chicken legs. You get a package of elastic chicken ties. You get an instructional video cassette. You also get a booklet of instructions and recipes. You get over $250 worth of valuable coupons. You get the platform and you get the barbecue gloves. This is over a $400 value. And all you pay if you call the toll-free number that you see on the screen right now is just five easy monthly payments of only $19.99. Please call the toll-free number. You'll really be glad you did. And one more thing, folks. If it isn't the best product that you ever bought for your home or kitchen, I don't want you to keep the machine. Please return it to us and do get your money back.
0: Okay, so five easy payments of nineteen We're looking at like just under a hundred bucks. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't feel that this is a $400 value. I mean, none of you can see this, but the grill gloves are totally those like dishwashing gloves that you yeah. get for like a couple bucks. Uh, there was the string. Um, there is the VHS cassette. <laughs>
1: is So the five easy payments thing, which is very popular in these sort of things, This is like the Klarna of its time.
0: It really is. I mean, this is like, this is so prescient of what the internet would become in so many ways, right? So many of these are like that. And, you know, it's like, I look at this and I'm like, this is all classic, classic sales tricks, Mm -hmm. right? When you get an email that you can use Klarna or Afterpay, you're basically doing what Ronco is doing right now. When you get an email from a brand that's like, you know, this sale is only 24 hours long this is what ron's doing here where he is like you have to call now if you want to get this special deal when he was saying like oh you could go buy this in the store be way more expensive i don't even think that's true you know and that reminds me of when you go to a place like tj maxx or marshall's and the tag says compare at blank but we're going to charge you this a lot of times those products aren't available anywhere else and they're exclusive to Nordstrom Rack, Marshalls, TJ Maxx. So it's also this like, oh, if I don't get it right now, I'll never get this great deal. Yeah. But it's not necessarily factual. And whoever would put a $400 value on what we just saw there.
1: Well, that's the kind of thing where like, it's the difference between like $400 MSRP, than that marked out, you know what I mean? Yeah, like it's, yeah. it's that sort of thing. And um, so what I want is I want either like a Ron Popeil bio series oh, that's like real too. dark yeah. about this. I would also settle for one that is like I'm a big fan of all of the like the food that made America, the history, you know that 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 whole you, franchise. He is.
0: Every night, every night.
1: Um I will I want one though that's like kind of like that, but it's just Ron. And I'm willing because I'm willing to bet that there's lots of weird m- behind the scenes like the the other guy on the team invents it and doesn't get credit for it You think so? I I think that there's going to be an element of that because like in all these things like at this point that's from his empire is too big for he's not just a dude in his garage making like you know what I mean like how does he have time to like do the R&D creation and that, and be out there like selling like this. Like I, I don't, I, I think that there's an element of him, you know, truly being like this. Invent, and again, I'm just, I, I need to, I should have, I need to do due diligence now and look into this. But I have a feeling that this <laughs> is going to be one of those things where, like, oh yeah, this guy, Dave Flavel, made, you know, was actually the real guy mm-hmm. that invented all the stuff after his original, you know, stuff. And there's a team, but that's, you know, that's the way all that stuff goes like, you know, like you, the dude invents the initial thing and then has to get people to help him like keep it going, you know?
0: Right. Right. Well, um, what if I told you I read a really lovely essay about Rowan Popiel and it also taught, he tells the story of inventing the Showtime rotisserie. Um, this essay was written by Malcolm Gladwell. I'm going to link to it in the show notes. You should all read it. But I, I did save one paragraph that I really wanted to read to you, Dustin. Ron Popel is a handsome man, thick through the chest and shoulders with a leonine head and striking oversized features. He is in his mid-60s and lives in Beverly Hills, halfway up Coldwater Canyon, in a sprawling bungalow with a stand of avocado trees and a vegetable garden out back. In his habits, Popeil is, by Beverly Hills standards, old school. He carries his own bags. He has been known to eat at Denny's. He wears t-shirts and sweatpants. As often as twice a day, he can be found buying poultry or fish or meat at one of the local grocery stores, in particular Costco, which he favors because the chickens there are 99 cents a pound as opposed to $1.49 at standard supermarkets. Whatever he buys, he brings back to his kitchen, a vast room overlooking the canyon with an array of industrial appliances, a collection of 1,500 bottles of olive oil, and in the corner, an oil painting of him His fourth wife, Robin, a former Fredericks of Hollywood model, and their baby daughter, Contessa. See, now now reading just that paragraph alone, I do want, I want this Ron Popeil series, right?
1: Do do you know what's the greatest part of that? Hmm. Has been known to eat at Denny's.
0: (laughs) I've been known to eat at Denny's, so I'm basically Ron Popeil.
1: And then followed by the former Fredericks of Hollywood model, fourth wife. Reference like that's probably the second best part. Yeah,
0: and that their baby daughter is named Contessa. Yeah, it's great too. Yeah. Um, just wanted to say for any of you who live in the Los Angeles area or are flying in and out, major life hack is that there's this Denny's outside of the Burbank Airport. It's walking distance. So if your flight gets delayed or you want to eat uh, early or whatever, uh, it's a really solid Denny's and they have gluten free English muffins. There you go. <laughs> I've been known to eat at Denny's too. Anyway, yeah. I mean, I. I would be curious to know more about Ron Popeil. I think there's a story there with like what happened with him and his dad since they were working together yeah. and then they weren't. Um, I do think he is like the master of the, the infomercial. I mean, it's it's that format again. It's the live studio audience. They go around and t- ask people what they've cooked with their Ronco products and why they did it or what they'd like to cook. He shows, he actually prepares a ton of food in there. So it feels like real like a cooking show almost, but it's not, it's very cleverly disguised. And he makes you say like, like even just watching this clip, I was like, maybe we should get some, I like chicken wings.
1: You know, I also though, anytime there's an article like that, that just really tries to drive home somebody being like this, this man of the people while at the same time talking about their Beverly Hills home. It's just like, there's something about it that I'm like, who paid for this? (laughs) Like that, you know what I mean? Like, it's like, like, I'm not saying that someone can't live in Beverly Hills and be a, a man of the people, but there's something about when that's how you sell yourself. That just always is just like a little disconcerting.
0: Yeah, no, it's true. It's true. Um, So yeah, if any of you want to work on this project, Dustin, Dustin's the first thing Dustin's going to do when we finish recording is he's going to go into his office and Google Ron Popiel asshole and see what comes up. Um, I,
1: I, If anyone out there wants to, you know, work on researching this and putting this, you know, series together, like, let's talk. Because I really, like, (laughs) I I want, like, a really dark, dramatic, like...
0: Yeah, this has got your name all over it. Yeah, yeah. I'll just say, if any of you want to go to Denny's, also, let me know. Okay, well, in 2005, Ron sold Ronco to another company, but he continued to work on inventions until his death at the age of 86 in 2021. A few years before that, Ronco did file for bankruptcy. They actually owed Ron himself a ton of money. Very sad cuz this was his life's work, but then again, you know, maybe we're going to find out that Ron was an asshole. We'll we'll never know until you all start working on that research. If you're enjoying this episode, then this is a great time to remind you that my work here at Close Horse is made possible by the support of listeners like you, just like NPR and these great small businesses please go give them your support. Blank Cass, or Blanket Coats by Cass, is focused on restoring, renewing, and reviving the history held within vintage and heirloom textiles. By embodying the love, craft, and energy that is original to each vintage textile as I transfer it into a new garment, I hope we can reteach ourselves to care for and mend what we have and make it last. BlankCast lives on Instagram at blank underscore cass, and a website will be launched soon at blankcast.com. Find us on Instagram at shop underscore velvet underground or online at www.shopvelvetunderground.com. St. Evans is a New York City-based vintage shop that is dedicated to bringing you those special pieces you'll reach for again and again. More than just a store, St. Evans is dedicated to sharing the stories and history behind the garments. 10% of all sales are donated to a different charitable organization each month. New Vintage is released every Thursday at wearstevens.com with previews of new pieces and more brought to you on Instagram at wear_st. Dot Evans. That's where St. Evans Country Feedback is a mom and pop record shop in Tarboro, North Carolina. They specialize in used rock, country, and soul, and offer affordable vintage clothing and housewares. Do you have used records you want to sell? Country Feedback wants to buy them. Find us on Instagram at Country Feedback Vintage and Vinyl, or head down east and visit our brick and mortar. All are welcome at this inclusive and family-friendly record shop in the country. Republica Unicornia Yarns. Handmade yarn and notions for the color obsessed. Made with love and some swearing in fabulous Atlanta, Georgia by head yarn wench Kathleen. Get ready for rainbows with a side of giving a damn. Republica Unicornia is all about making your own magic using small batch, responsibly sourced, hand-dyed yarns, and thoughtfully made notions. Slow fashion all the way down and discover the joy of creating your very own beautiful hand-knit, crocheted, or woven pieces. Find us on Instagram at republica underscore unicornia underscore yarns and at www.republicaunicornia.com. Picnic wear, a slow fashion brand ethically made by hand from vintage and dead stock materials, most notably vintage towels. Founder Danny has worked in the industry as a fashion designer for over 10 years, but started Picnic Wear in response to her dissatisfaction with the industry's shortcomings. PicnicWear recently moved to rural North Carolina, where all their sewing and accessories are now designed and cut, but the majority of their sewing is done by skilled garment workers in New York City. Their customers take comfort in knowing that all their sewists are paid well above New York City minimum wage. Picnicware offers minimal waste and maximum authenticity, future vintage over future garbage. Cute Little Ruin is an online shop dedicated to providing quality vintage and secondhand clothing, vinyl, and home items in a wide range of styles and price points. If it's ethical and legal, we try to find a home for it. Vintage style with progressive values. Find us on Instagram at cute little ruin. Is there a little bit of Italy in your soul? Are you an enthusiast of pre-loved decor and accessories? Bring vintage Italian style and history into your space with the pewter thimble. We source useful and beautiful things and mend them where needed. We also find gorgeous illustrations and make them print worthy. Tarot cards, tea towels, and hand-picked treasures available to you from the comfort of your own home. Responsibly sourced from across Rome, lovingly renewed by fairly paid artists and artisans, with something for every budget. Discover more at theputerthimble dot com. As I mentioned earlier, there are just too many big infomercials of the nineties to cover them all. But there's one that really illustrates how this industry worked in its heyday. And I'm going to also just add that a lot of the infomercials sort of happened in secrecy. Like there's just not much out there about them and people didn't really know a lot about them. And to me, that's not different than... You know, those of you who have learned from listening to Clothes Horse or reading my posts on Instagram that, oh, 65 percent of clothes are made of polyester these days or that people who are working in the factories, you know, work under horrible conditions and are barely, if at all, paid and that there's forced labor in all of these industries. Because if you knew that stuff and now you, you know that stuff the spell is broken. So if you knew that infomercials were a little sketchy or weren't selling great products, or maybe just didn't have the right ethics behind the scenes, you weren't going to buy an electric food dehydrator, or you weren't going to call psychic friends, right? So they kind of had to keep this stuff on the DL. So I want to talk about Victoria Jackson's Beauty Breakthroughs, which to me is a really great illustration of how the industry was working. And to be honest, it's one of the few infomercials that got the kind of coverage we need because it had gone awry and its lack of maybe ethical behavior was a little bit more apparent. So Victoria Jackson's Beauty Breakthroughs was an infomercial about makeup. It sold more than 150 million dollars in cosmetics from 1990 to 1992. Let's let's watch a little clip from this. I don't know if you've ever seen this one, Dustin. This one I it was like iconic of this time. Yeah. Well,
5: Lisa Hartman is going to tell you how you can order your skincare and color kits at an incredible savings, and we'll be right back. Hi, I'm Lisa Hartman. Last year, Allie McGraw and I introduced Victoria Jackson and her No Makeup Makeup in video. Well, within two weeks, over 10,000 women per week were switching to Victoria's makeup, making her company one of the fastest-growing cosmetic companies in history. Why? Because after 13 years of making up thousands of faces, Victoria knew what colors, textures, and techniques would make any woman more beautiful naturally, without looking overly made up. And she created an incredible skincare and makeup line that does just that. By pre-selecting her makeup into color-coordinated kits, She's taken all the confusion, guesswork, and frustrating mistakes out of buying makeup. Her foundation enables you to have a naturally beautiful looking complexion without feeling or looking like you have any makeup on. Her skincare line was not only created to give your skin the long-term protection it needs, it was created to prepare your face for a perfect natural matte finish. So your makeup goes on smoothly and just a little bit goes a long way. To top it all off, Victoria created a video that guides you step by step through her fast and easy makeover techniques. You'll learn how to make your eyes look their absolute best. Her quick and simple techniques for dealing with every kind of problem or flaw you can think of, from circles and bags under the eyes, to lines and wrinkles, and even severe acne. Most important, she shows you how to achieve your absolute best look. Her skincare program includes Victoria's incredible dual purpose eye makeup remover and facial cleanser, her super fine toning mist, her non oily light moisturizer, her eye gel repair, and her firming gel mask. And her entire line is hypoallergenic. Victoria's fine line of super sheer makeup comes in three color coordinated kits peaches, pinks, and reds. Sold separately, you would pay $39.95 for her video, $80 for her skincare line, and $162 for her cosmetics and brush kit. But through this offer, the total price is only three payments of $39.95. And if you order now, you'll also receive her elegant retractable brush set, which includes this sleek retractable lip brush and a full-size retractable blush brush. It's a $40 value, and it's yours free. Just try her cosmetics and video for 30 days, and if you don't love them as much as we do, you can return them for a full refund. Here's how to order.
0: Okay, so I wanted to start by saying that I found this video, this clip, on YouTube, and the title was Unintentional ASMR, and it really is very soothing and calm, unlike Ron and and his, like, oh my god, look, it slices, it dices kind of yeah. selling, Um I will say that, you know, these cosmetics are definitely only for white ladies based on the colors we saw there. Um, The trend of no makeup makeup was hot at this time. Like that was what the early 90s makeup was. Mm -hmm. It was to look like you weren't wearing makeup, although I will tell you it was pretty obvious in the before and afters and the show that people were wearing makeup. Yeah, Um, But it was, I get it. It wasn't like showy or bright or anything like that. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was just very calming. Yeah, Uh, You could not buy Victoria Jackson cosmetics anywhere else. And you certainly couldn't buy these things separately. So that call to action was nonsense as they always are. But once again, we had it there, right? Like you're going to get all these great deals if you call right now. Right. Mm-hmm. And you're not going to get this deal anywhere else. What's not said is you're not going to, you're literally not going to get this deal anywhere else because it doesn't exist anywhere else. But this was a massively successful brand. Did you, did you see these, ever see these I mean, on television? I, I
1: didn't watch these. Like okay. I, saw, I, I know that these were, that these existed and I would see them, but you know, I would put it on something else because as much as I love Meredith baxter Bernie, like I was not (laughs) feeling a need to watch this then, you know? Yeah, no, Um, me
0: neither. Me neither. But it would be like, it's Saturday afternoon. I want the TV on for sound. There's nothing else. Right. And Victoria Jackson was there for you. So Victoria Jackson is a name that might sound familiar to you, but we are not talking about the comedian from SNL, which I was surprised to hear too, because somehow as a kid, I really thought it was the same person. And I was like, that's great that she's got this other thing going on. Um, so this Victoria Jackson had a really hard home life as a child. I was reading on her website. She's really, she's really been through a lot in her life. You should go check it out. Um, as a teenager, she was sexually assaulted and stabbed by a, I guess, infamous serial rapist called the pillowcase rapist. And I actually was able to find information about this person. Um, fortunately, eventually that person was caught and, you know, went to jail. um, But this was a very traumatic, obviously life-changing event for her. And after that attack, she never returned to her house again. And she even missed her high school graduation. In 1976, she won a scholarship to beauty school where she trained to be a makeup artist. In the 80s, she developed her trademark no-makeup makeup look. She created her own line of Victoria Jackson cosmetics in her garage, and she soon became a well-known success story, selling hundreds of millions of dollars worth of her makeup on her own infomercial. A real all-American success story, right? Except not. Or maybe it is actually ultra all-American because everything was not as it seemed, and someone, namely Victoria, got scammed. I found this 1995 L.A. Times article about Jackson and what was really happening behind the scenes. The article says, while the cosmetics line she created has probably earned millions for the company that produces her infomercials, American Telecast of Paoli, Pennsylvania, for several years, Jackson was earning a relatively modest $3,000 to $8,000 a month. Now, that is still a lot of money. Well, not really, I guess, That would be $36,000 a year to $96,000 a year. Probably not great, uh, even in the 90s, especially when you designed, created, invented your own line of cosmetics, right? Why was she being paid so little? Well, that's because Jackson had signed a contract with American Telecast that was based on adjusted gross earnings, meaning that she was only entitled to a small portion of the company's earnings after all other expenses were deducted, airtime, production costs, marketing costs, salaries, packaging, you name it. She only got a small percentage of what was left after that. She was actually being paid less than the celebrity guests on the infomercial, Meredith baxter Bernie, Ali McGraw, Lisa Hartman, who were receiving 2% of the gross revenue, meaning 2% of just sales, right off the top, not with any deductions. And so she was just, you know, kind of getting screwed on this deal. She told the LA Times, I've always referred to this as my deal from heaven and hell. From heaven because it put me on the map and let me realize my dreams and potential. But from hell because I don't own it and I don't make all the money I would have had I done it differently. And the reality is that she got a very bad deal. But in 1988, when she signed that deal with American Telecast, she was desperate. Despite a successful career as a makeup artist in Hollywood, she just hadn't been able to successfully launch her own line. She just couldn't get the money together to do it. And American Telecast promised her the opportunity to do that. Per the LA Times, American Telecast offered to pay up front for the research and development of Jackson's makeup line, as well as manufacturing costs and the TV airtime to sell it by way of a toll-free 800 telephone number. Jackson would receive 10% of an adjusted gross profit until the profits started rolling in. She'd receive advances on future earnings. This is like a record deal. It sounds yeah, like to no, me, right? Yeah,
1: totally is. Yeah. It's, you know, what's going on in my mind. Yeah,
0: right. I was thinking the same thing. It was a take-it-or-leave-it deal, and she took it. With hindsight, Jackson says she would have found advisors more familiar with the vagaries of the entertainment industry accounting and of infomercials. And you got to remember, we're still in the very early days of infomercials when she signs this deal in 1988. Like, they've only been allowed on American Airwaves for a couple years at this point. And she just didn't know what she was doing. She didn't yeah. have the right people helping her, because this is just like a record deal where you you pay for the recording costs, the videos, everything else, and then you get a cut sometime down the road, mm-hmm. if at all, right? Yeah this was a similar thing. And you know, this was her name on it. Yeah. Um, another part of this is she had an exclusivity deal that basically said, if she re- did not renew the contract or quit or anything like that, she couldn't sell makeup anywhere else ever. This is like her one thing she knows. So she's really, really stuck with it. For years, she would receive little to no payment for the sales of the line, being told by the company that no profit was being made. And in 1992, she hired a lawyer who was familiar with these kinds of agreements. She'd had enough is enough, right? She was like, I know we're selling hundreds of millions of dollars worth of makeup. When am I going to get a cut of this? An audit of American telecast accounting was done. And what do you know it? It turned out that they did owe Jackson money. And she was able to negotiate a better deal based on that. Because it was kind of like, listen, I'm going to take you guys to court for damages if you don't give me a better deal. You know, and like there were expenses, of course. I was reading that, for example, filming the infomercial cost $750,000, um, which... You know, what does that even mean? Well, $750,000, it's a pretty, at least of that time, a pretty standard advertising budget for just a regular commercial. So it wasn't out of bounds, right? But you know, that was another thing that they would have been deducting from her part of the profits and the packaging development, running the 1-800 number, shipping, all of the operations and processes involved in getting product to people. But it was a pretty unfair deal just to know that Meredith Baxter Burney was making more money off of being on the infomercial than Victoria was. And she, like, created the product.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's it's pretty wild. Um, Something that, you know, I was kind of wondering through this, too, is, like, so you had mentioned that, like, a lot of the sets kind of look the same. And I'm wondering how much of these were shot at the same places, you know, like who was directing these, like there's so many other weird questions. Cause even like talking about this American telecast, you know, like where were they shooting these? Like, you know, like, right. What was there just one soundstage that like some, you know, cause like, it seems like if you're that and you're a parent company, like you would just build a soundstage and shoot all of them there because you're going to save money instead of renting or are you going to save money? You know, it's that sort of thing. And I I think it'd be really interesting to, you know, know where the stuff was shot, who was directing it, how it was getting made, you know, like how the sausage was getting made and not just in the, like, um, the phone aspect, but the actual, like how these things were, you know, being produced for TV.
0: So I know a little bit, once again, like this industry kind of operates even now way under the radar, but okay. So the Victoria Jackson cosmetics one was different than the other ones because it didn't use that talk show format. Instead, it relied on women in very neutral tone Suits being very calm and, right. and low-key quiet in, in a house. That one was actually filmed in a house. Um, everybody else was doing that, that talk show format, though. And what I discovered is that the world of infomercials, both, we're going to talk about American Telecast a little bit more, but they, the majority of these, these infomercials were being made, produced by just a couple companies, right? Mm-hmm. No matter how diverse the product offering was. But it was similar that only a couple people were doing all the directing and producing Mm -hmm. of the actual spots. So I have no doubt that they were shot in the same locations. There were a couple where I was like, I think that's the same set. Um, In fact, at one point, Victoria Jackson did get married and she married a guy who produces (laughs) these these uh, infomercials. Yeah. So. Let's, let's talk a little bit about American Telecast because it was one of the biggest companies benefiting from the infomercial era. This family-owned company began in the mid-70s as a direct marketing company, which I would assume would be like marketing through the mail. But they pivoted into infomercials in the 80s as infomercials were just taking off. And they had some pretty major ones. For example, Richard Simmons Deal Meal. Which grossed more than two hundred and fifty million dollars in sales. Where there's a will, there's an A. Which I had totally forgotten about. It was a series of like educational videos and workbooks. It was hosted by Michael Landon, John Ritter, Marie Osmond, and Hugh Downs. I think Hugh <laughs> Downs was from sixty Minutes, right? Yeah. Let's let's just watch this one because uh, this was a blast from the past. I specifically chose an ad with Michael
6: Landon. Commercial announcement was recorded prior to Michael Landon's death. Mr. Landon authorized its continued broadcast because of his belief in the content of this program. Hi, I'm Michael Landon. For the last three years, John Ritter has been telling America about where there's a will, there's an A. A video seminar for students that has literally turned C and D students into A students, almost overnight. Our hope was to help thousands of students do better in school. But this program has exceeded our wildest expectations. Over one million grade school, high school, and college students have watched or listened to these tapes. One million. And the results have been incredible. I went from straight C's and D's to straight A's and B's. My grade point average went up from a 1.8 to a 3.0, and I made the honor roll for the first time.
2: He didn't want to watch the tapes, and I made him watch them. And I can't even believe the difference. It totally changed his whole motivation and his whole attitude towards learning. He's gone from C's and D's to A's and B's, which is way more than I ever expected.
6: This seminar teaches students how to learn more in less time. The 1991-92 grade school, high school, and college editions are each available on two video cassettes or four audio cassettes, and include the seminar manual. Look, your child's education is the most important contribution to their future you'll ever make. Don't just tell them to get better grades. Give them the tool that makes it possible. Here's how call 1-800-626-7700. Have your credit card available when you call. The grade school, high school, and college seminars are each available on two video cassettes or four audio cassettes. All seminars come with a full money back guarantee. So call now, 1-800-626-7700. 1-800-626-7700.
0: Okay, so this is another one that used the three easy payments Mm -hmm. offer, which I think, and this is purely me speculating based on other stuff I'd read, that we started to see a lot of this as we got deeper into the 90s because people were not in a great financial situation. Mm -hmm. And so they couldn't afford to just outright spend, what was it? three easy payments of twenty nine ninety five for the three or the VHS tapes. They couldn't just go out and spend $90 on these VHS tapes, but they were definitely pretty desperate for it. Well, it's,
1: it's, it's also to make it seem cheaper at yeah, the same time. Yeah, like there's that psychological, when you, when you flash sure. that up there, instead of flashing up the total price, you know, like you're, you've conned them into thinking that it's way cheaper. The, the two best, parts about that the word that the warning, not not the warning but the
0: disclaimer
1: yeah yeah like michael landon is recently dead but don't worry like he says this is still cool bro and there was that kid bart hull who looked a lot like what i would imagine a teenage bart simpson to be Mm -hmm. like and that that was pretty cool too
0: yeah yeah it was uh there was like a full 30 minute that you could watch with John Ritter. And I remember this being another one that yeah. was on on like Saturday afternoons. Uh, another American telecast hit was John F- Jane Fonda Treadmill. They sold more than $145 million worth of those. Uh, there was a series of videos called Hidden Keys to Loving Relationships, which did $125 million in sales. This starred Connie Selica. John Tesh, Frank and Kathy Lee Gifford, I mean, and they were giving marriage advice, and I did not watch one of these. However, I did see that they are someone, a church, has uploaded all the videos onto YouTube for your viewing pleasure, if any of you need that. Um, Later, American Telecast did a cosmetic line infomercial with Kathy Lee called Mona Me.
1: I remember the, Kath- I, don't rem- I didn't remember the name of it, but I do remember. I
0: remember it too. As soon as I saw it, I was like, oh yeah. And it was not dissimilar to Victoria Jackson, honestly, in terms of aesthetic and what you got with yeah. it. It's hard to find out much about American Telecast because yeah. they keep a very low profile. They told the New York Times in 1992, quote, the spouting whale gets harpooned. Like, they just operate under a cloak of mystery. They were widely considered the best in the infomercial business in the 1990s. Remember when we talked about the Play Awards in the last episode? Mm -hmm. They won 15 awards in the year that it happened. And their formula Mm -hmm. was super easy. Get a celebrity on board and give them a small portion of sales. They could pitch it almost as passive income to the star, just film the infomercial in a day or two and watch the money roll in for years. And so that's what they did with all of these yeah. these people. Um, they did hair commercials with Cher. I actually am sad yeah. to say that there was this Adweek article that I tried to read in every possible way without getting a subscription to Adweek, which I was unable to accomplish, that was just talked about how Cher practically ruined her career in the 90s with infomercials. Uh, Because she was doing so many, and they turned into such, like, parody fodder, and some of them were less good than others, and so uh, she did a bunch. She A lot of celebrities did, right? I mean, I just listed a whole bunch of celebrities who were involved with these products. Yeah. Ultimately, what I found in my research was that there were only a few major companies dominating the infomercial landscape in the 90s with American Telecast running the celebrity product circuit. I mean, I listed some, but they had many more Uh, Ronco doing his own thing and all of the one nine hundred numbers being run by a small handful of sort of like one nine hundred conglomerates. As I mentioned at the top of this episode, infomercials continue to air even today, and the industry was definitely a lot stronger in the 90s and the aughts, but we still have seen some products launch as infomercials, perhaps in a way that is much more successful than it was in the early 90s, because they have made that leap from infomercial to full-on regular best-selling products. So for one, there's the Snuggie which I, I think that the Snuggie came into the world in a time when I didn't have access to television. So I didn't even know it was an infomercial, but there was a full-on mm-hmm. 30-minute Snuggie commercial, which I don't know how much you can say, Mm -hmm. but uh, let's just watch a little clip right here.
2: You want to keep warm when you're feeling chilled, but you don't want to raise your heating bill. (laughs) Blankets are okay, but they can slip and slide. And when you need to reach for something, your hands are trapped inside. Now, there's the Snuggie, the blanket that has sleeves. The Snuggie keeps you totally warm and gives you the freedom to use your hands. So now, you can work the remote or read a book in total warmth and comfort. Use your laptop without being cold or enjoy a snack while staying snugly warm. Snuggie is made of ultra soft, thick, luxurious fleece with oversized sleeves so you can move your arms and use your hands and still be wrapped in warmth. Super large, one size fits all, so you can stay warm from head to toe, no more cold feet. And with Snuggie, you can get up and still stay warm, perfect for men, women and children too. The ultra soft fleece keeps you totally warm and the sleeves keep your hands free so you can snuggle your baby in your arms. or keep your pet close at hand, perfect for chilly outdoor evenings, staying cozy and warm at sporting events, and it's ideal for those drafty dorm rooms. The Snuggie is machine washable, so you'll get years of warmth and comfort. Now you can use your remote, Enjoy a snack, talk on the phone, do what you need to and stay totally warm with the Snuggie. Similar products sell for up to $60, but call now and you'll get the ultra-soft, ultra-warm Snuggie for only $14.95, available in royal blue, sage green and burgundy. As an added bonus, you'll also receive our compact press and open book light. Just press and the book light instantly opens and turns on for extra light where you need it, a $15 value free. Yes, you get the ultra-soft fleece Snuggie and or press and open book light. A $75 value, both for only $14.95.
4: To order, call 1-800-819-0658. Remember, you'll get the ultra-soft, ultra-warm, snuggy, and the compact press and open book light for just $14.95 plus processing and handling. Call 1-800-819-0658.
0: Okay, so... <sighs> There's a lot to unpack here, yeah, but my yeah. favorite thing about this is that despite the Snuggie coming in three colors...
1: They only show one and it makes everyone feel like they're in a cult.
0: I know! and they're That's like,
1: like Rajneesh Red. Yeah,
0: and they, there was a scene where there were a bunch of them in the Snuggie outside roasting marshmallows over a fire, mm-hmm. and it was just so, like, we're in a really cozy cult.
1: Well, and also when they're at the sporting event and the, th- the three people <laughs> in the stands wearing the their cult robes and everyone else is normal you know it felt like a bit on like you know where like like some sort of wacky show where like they're the cult and they're you know in the stands yeah
0: yeah so that one was oh man i could watch that commercial all day it was really good well
1: i've seen it gazillions of times but it's i have not in a long time and i yeah like it's very so culty like which i know i
0: had I, yeah like the bell about. sleeves it was like a flowing robe with yeah. sort of like a turtleneck it was very culty uh, i've never seen anyone out in public wearing snuggie so the fact that the commercial included that was a little like surprising
1: do you like we have in philly but maybe not i
0: mean that wouldn't surprise me if we were going to see it anywhere um yes yeah, Snuggies, what a phenomenon and they used once again in that infomercial all the classic tricks right oh, do you have this, like, really esoteric problem? Like, come on, guys. We can all cover up with a blanket. Okay. <laughs> One. Um,
1: like, if if the problems that they were facing would just have been fixed by a larger blanket.
0: Or putting on a sweater. Yeah. Yeah, so you've got this problem. Uh, oh, also, like, this would somewhere else be $60, which is just not true, because you couldn't buy it anywhere else. That looked
1: like an eBay listing with someone else already, like, set. Was the snuggy... Yeah, you know, there's like a more expensive stuggy on eBay running under a different title. Yeah, it
0: was so weird. It was so weird. And then like, oh, but not only will you get it for $14.95 if you call right now, you'll also get this book light that I love the part where they were like, ding, every time it unfolded yeah. and turned on. Anyway.
1: Well, this also leads to like the whole like as seen on TV product section, mm-hmm. you know, that you see at like Walgreens or CVS or whatever, you know, which are these products and it's so interesting because they were only available on TV, but now you can actually buy them at the store because so, they became so, by being on TV, so like just a, a part of the landscape, you know?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, very, very interesting to me. Like the snuggy. I don't know if they're still around. I just think about how many on the landfills. They're definitely 100% polyester um definitely lots of parodies made of that ad yeah. i still once again why did they go for everyone being in the burgundy one
1: That that's probably just like what they had on hand when they went i feel
0: like they have not done enough drugs to see that this was gonna look like a cold they're not listening to the right kind of music um okay next is a product that began as an infomercial that we use very frequently around here which is oxyclean mm-hmm. um that was a billy mays yeah. joint uh Proactive, which uh, you can, like, a lot of airports have proactive machines in them now. Like, it's just a straight-up product that you can buy. Um, the early infomercials starred your girl, Judith Light. I know you got a little crush on her. Uh, Bowflex. Oh, I've never yeah. known anyone with a Bowflex, but they just are, like, one of those things. How about the George Foreman Grill? Yeah. they Every th- thrift store ever. Every thrift store ever. Three. Three at every yeah. one of them. So... They sold more than 100 million, and I thought that was interesting because the population of the United States is give or take about 300 million people at any given time. But you know, a bunch of those people are children or live in the same household. So what it says to me is that there are households with multiple George Foreman grills. Wow, yeah,
1: that's how there's three in every thrift store. Yeah,
0: exactly, exactly. Um, here's one of the few things I didn't buy this from television. I bought it at Walgreens because it made the jump from. Infomercial to being in stores, and that was the Ped Egg. It was the little thing mm-hmm. that you would like to shave your feet. Yeah. More than four hundred fifty million dollars in sales. Yeah, they are ten dollars a piece, about so that's forty five million Ped Eggs out there in the world. um The Sham Wow, which I've never owned, but I did see at my uncle's house one time. Yeah, um, I included the Shake Weight on here, although I am. Willing to admit that the shake weight probably didn't make its way into being like a mainstream regular product that people buy, but it really did permeate the consciousness yeah, of it did. pop culture. Yeah, <laughs> right. Um, the squatty potty—I had no idea. Yeah, I thought it was like something that came from like Goop or something.
1: Um, so, in the as seen on TV products, too, something that we've used is that Flex Tape that you oh, see where yeah. they like. The water's leaking and they slap, you yeah. know, uh, that's what we use when we are fixing the Rialto roof and the skylight.
0: And we were, it worked great. So yeah. there you go. Yeah. I mean, like, I think, I think that there are two camps of thought around as seen on TV products, which by the way, like any big box store, even like a Walgreens at this point has a section for mm-hmm. as seen on TV. I. Uh, some people are like, oh, it's on TV, it's garbage, right? And other people are like, it's on TV, it's a miracle, right? Yeah. Like, it's great. Um, and, you know, I, my experience with the pet egg was, it's fine. Um, and that tape was incredible.
1: Yeah. And I think that most of those, when they make it to that point, I mean, the reason why some of those products, well, some of it gets a little weird, like the pet egg for, for, for this, but was like that there was a way to display this product on television and show its impact. It's much like, you know, the Ronco stuff like not wanting to go through a billion vegetables, you know. Because yeah, that's how yeah. you that's what you have to do to sell it. So for a lot of these, you know, there's a thing like like, you know, the um flex tape, you see the water coming out, the dude slaps tape over it and suddenly water's not coming out. Like it's impressive. That that whole show with Billy Mays and the British guy whose name I can't remember, uh <laughs> revolved around that being a big thing for any product that they wanted to work on was like, okay, well, we've, you know, you've got a good idea. This, this product is good, but how do you display it on TV in a way that makes people go, wow, mm-hmm. you know, and there yeah. has to be that moment. And that's what, you know, the most successful ones of those really do.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's true. I think it is. I mean, these, all of these products have benefited by having or benefited from having all that extra time to show people what they did, right? Mm-hmm. Like George Foreman Grill, you would look at that if you didn't know and be like, I don't know, can you make a sandwich on there, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the Ped Egg is another one where you'd see it in the store and be like, I don't know what that is and skip it. Um, OxyClean is a great example. Like once you've used OxyClean, you're like, holy shit, this product is incredible. But you might not be motivated to buy it until you saw on television how incredible it really was, you know, or if you had a friend who had used it, it could be like, yeah, no, it literally removes like almost every stain. So this like idea of using the television medium as a way to sell to your customer and have more time with them is not unlike going door to door as a door to door salesman and demonstrating your stuff or like, You know, where I grew up every year at the fair, there was a whole pavilion that was just booth after booth of people showing these kinds of products, demonstrating them. Yeah. How to make smoothies and how to dry fruit and how to use this mix to make chili and on and on and on, right? So television served a great medium for that. You know, more than ever, social media has become today's infomercial, right? Thanks to a combination of influencer marketing and affiliate links, And I want you to think about your average influencer's profile or posts and compare them to the standard recipe of an infomercial as we have been throughout this. So the most successful infomercials outside of maybe Victoria Jackson really focused on that combination of a talk show format often with a studio audience, Um, you get that with influencer posts and reviews and follower comments and feedback. Like there's this two-way street here of Mm -hmm. communication, right? That feels like a live conversation. That sprinkling of call-in or video testimonials from so-called real people, you get that now on social media because nothing is more real as a testimonial than a post of an influencer actually using, wearing a product Telling you about it. That act now CTA of like, act now and get this special price that you'll never get again. Uh, that works now, or that functions now, with influencers often offering special exclusive discount codes that you can only get from them. You need to use it soon. And that idea that the value extends beyond the actual price of the product or service, like it's somehow going to improve your health or your life can you really even put a price on the aspirational lifestyle of an influencer? You can't like, that's, that's what you're supposed to be aspiring to. And that that's a value. You can't put a number on. Right. So that's, that's how you get it.
1: Well, even like the, you know, Victoria Jackson makeup stuff feels like, like modern internet in a lot of ways of like, here's like, you know, like makeup tutorials and, 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 and stuff, you know, cause and to see it visually too, like especially there being like an instructional video and stuff and mm-hmm. all that. It really feels like that kind of like, you know, today I'm going to show you how to do this. Oh kind yeah, of it's totally
0: like so TikTok. Yeah. 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 And I think the Victoria Jackson makeup set coming with that video was very innovative because yeah. for decades, women's magazines had been trying to show their customers how to do makeup and hair. They were really limited by how they could share information. Yeah in a written format well, right you, you
1: can't sh- like techniques are hard to describe yeah especially without any formal language to it like even like thinking about like a painting technique and you read about it and you read how to do it and it's totally different than like when you just are showing like okay this is how you do this and you're like oh okay now i get it when you know because especially if there's not like technical nomenclature around something to really describe it and it, they're not going to go in in like those magazines into like true technical like beauty school nomenclature you know it's just it's not going to be that it's going to be intended for like anyone so
0: yeah no, totally totally and you know another way in which we see infomercials infotainment if you will being presented to us now is through a lot of like affiliate linking in blogs and you know reputable news outlets if you will i see Everyone from things like Bustle and Refinery29 to BuzzFeed to even USA Today, Forbes, et cetera, doing these listicles that are like, here's some shit you can buy and why you should buy it written by a writer who is, you know, telling you why you should buy these things. And every time one of you clicks on a link to go buy something from one of those listicles, the the platform gets a cut of that sale. So it's not unlike the celebrities going oh, totally. on and presenting what you should buy and then getting a cut of the top line revenue. So, yes, infomercials still exist. They definitely pander to an older audience based on what Dustin and I have seen, but we're all still being sold to through this like sort of infotainment of the infomercial all across social media and the internet.
1: I mean, if anything, it's actually worse in that it's almost it's so ubiquitous and S- just so part of the landscape that you don't think about it the same way, you know, it's different than like, cause if you were an in- infomercial, you would have, especially 30 minutes. I went at the beginning, like uh, a warning saying mm. like what you're watching,
0: which they were required to. Yeah. 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 Yeah.
1: But like when you're looking at things on the internet now, you don't see it. Like it, it's, it doesn't have, like every now and then an article will have a, bl- like a mention of that, but that's, not
0: well it'll say something like oh this is uh part of an affiliate partnership or something with amazon.com or whomever they're showing off there but if you don't know what that means you don't know what that means yeah and i am i have kind of stopped using the apple news app because half of the content it serves me every day is listicles of stuff to buy Oh, yeah. I can see through it very clearly. It might be like literally like you should buy these clothes or this makeup, but it could be as sneaky as like, oh, this one food or supplement, you know, changed my life. Here's how it could also be like, here are the best airfare deals out there right now. Once again, Apple News or whatever platform is hosting that listicle is is getting a cut of a sale that you make. So. I guess what I would just say uh, as always is I'm not so worried about any of you watching infomercials and getting confused and ending up with a, a pet egg or something, but I am concerned about people being unaware of how much advertising is being sold to them through the guise of entertainment at this Mm. point. So just be aware that it's all around us, even if, and you don't have to. You no longer have to stay up till one AM to see it.
1: No, it's every day when you're scrolling through the through the news. It's like the ten items. You know, GQ wants you to buy it. Like I get like in the Apple news and stuff like that. I get so much like that that. Um, and a lot of times, whenever I see things like that, I try to. I even though it's in my old man yells at cloud <laughs> moment, but I'll hit like the report and offensive. It's Just like. <laughs> Cause it makes, it brings me
0: like a second
1: of joy to be like, yeah, I just really gave it to them.
0: You really did. did. You really did. Okay. Well, that's all we have for you in this episode. Uh, Thank you so much, Dustin, for spending this time with me, even though we do live in the same house. You could probably be like fixing a drum or something right now instead. I'm really grateful for it. Do you have any final thoughts for any, everyone?
1: Yeah. You know, just like, fuck reagan i guess that's really like <laughs> fair, what it fair all enough. comes fair enough. back to it. and i wish that i never would have sold i had this exploited t-shirt that was the art for one specific seven inch and it's like as reagan Gorbachev, and thatcher all as like puppet masters with like their puppet strings going to these like fighter jets and bombs and stuff
0: that sounds pretty and impressive. it was on
1: a bright yellow uh screen star shirt and I sold it because it was selling for stupid money like any 80s punk shirt would, but or does, but I wish that I wouldn't have gotten rid of that one, because every time now that I think about things like this, that's the first thing, (laughs) the first image that pops in my head.
0: Well, if any of you encounter this shirt, reach out. Also, reach out if you're ready to work on that Ron Popeil program.
1: (laughs) I I, I want, I'm picturing some really dramatic light and him, like, in the kitchen, like, yeah, or like behind the scenes, like they, you know, stop a scene, and he's just like berating someone, you know, like that's.
0: Yeah, that yeah. sounds that sounds great. Let us know what you know. Uh, thanks for listening to another episode of Close Horse. If you like what you're hearing here, uh, please leave a rating, maybe even a review on Apple Podcasts. But most importantly, tell your friends. Friends don't let friends fall for affiliate advertising. <laughs> Um, if you'd like to support my work financially, you can learn more at patreon.com slash Uh, Just a reminder to check out my other show, The Department, which I co-host with my friend Kim. We talk about trends of all types, social, food, fashion, and so much more. And of course, as always, thank you to Dustin, who you just spent two hours with, for our music and audio support. Bye, everyone. bye.